chapter 21, uh, uh, as David comes about, it says in, in verse 1 that there was a famine in the days of David for three years. Uh, uh, year after year, and David inquired of the Lord. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Uh, you know, why wait three years to ask the Lord? <laughs> But it's amazing that, that, you know, maybe one year you could think, well, just lack of rain. Uh, but after a couple of years, you would think you would be asking and just seeking and just seeing what's going on. Uh, but can you imagine your, your spiritual life if you waited three years before asking the Lord why, why things are so dry? Uh, and yet people do. Uh, they, they just don't want to seek the Lord about it. They, they think that... Uh, they can just push through, uh, but God is a God who uh, desires just for us to know him and, and to seek his heart in that way. So uh, David uh, comes and, and he asks the Lord, and the Lord answered and said, it is for Saul. And can you imagine? And for his bloody house, because he slew the Gibeonites, but he slew them 40 years before. <laughs> Hold your place here and go back to Joshua chapter 9. Uh, just, just an amazing thing uh, that, that the Lord would wait 40 years to bring this up. But uh, just in that place where he takes vows seriously. Uh, in Joshua, back in Joshua, they made a vow with the Gibeonites. They made a vow in chapter 9 here uh, with the Gibeonites to uh, have them have access to Israel uh, and yet Saul comes and, and destroys them, uh, but uh, the Lord holds on to that vow and then brings it up to David that you need to do something for this. Uh, in Joshua chapter 9, uh, well, you know the story, but let's go down to verse 15 uh, there, and it says, And Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them to let them live. So here's this vow, here's this covenant that, that he makes with them and the princes of the congregation swore unto them so it wasn't just Joshua that did it it was all the princes of Israel and it came to pass at the end of three days it's amazing uh, the three is here <laughs> the three days and then the three years <laughs> uh, but it came to pass at the end of three days after they had made a league or a covenant with them that they heard that they were their neighbors and that they dwelled among them. Really, they were from uh, they were Ammonites in that place, uh, but they were right next door, and they'd come and, and fooled Joshua and the people of Israel. Uh, and it says in verse 17, and the children of Israel journeying came to their cities on the third day, and now the cities. So they, they make this league, and then they move on. Uh, but the Gibeonites were there. There were drawers of water. Uh, they, they were the ones that, that brought all those things and took care of those things for them. Uh, and they were happy to do that because they knew if they tried entering into a battle with them that they were going to be destroyed. And so they make this vow. They make this covenant with them. Saul breaks that covenant, slays the Gibeonites uh, without asking God, without looking to God for it. Uh, and in the midst of it, breaks a vow that, that the Lord, through Joshua, had made with them. Uh, and God takes those things seriously. Uh, and we go, well, why did you wait 40 years? Don't know. <laughs> God knows. <laughs> but, but we know that he takes those things seriously. And we've got to be careful when we make those vows to God uh, to make sure that we keep those vows.
that they aren't something that he looks at and just says, ah, a couple of years it'll be blow off and, and we'll be by it and you won't have to worry about it. But he takes those things seriously. So we should too, so we should be careful when we enter into vows with the Lord that we're doing it with, with a heart that says, I'm going to keep this vow to the Lord. Lord, this is the year. You know, here we are, New Year's resolutions and all those, those silly things. But he looks at vows and, and he says, you need to take these things seriously as you look at them. Uh, so back in, in chapter 21 here, uh, there was a famine because of it. And the Lord says it's, it's because of Saul uh, in his bloody house because he slew the Gibeonites. He has blood on his hands. Uh, and because of that, uh, I, I want to take care of them. I want to rectify these things. I want to make things right. And God is always in the business of making things right. Uh, and for you and I, certainly, we should have that heart too to make things right. So it says in verse 2 then that the king called the Gibeonites and said unto them, not on the phone, <laughs> but called them to him, said, Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. And the children of Israel had sworn unto them, and Saul sought to slay them in his zeal to the children of Israel and Judah. Uh, so Judah evidently was part of that. So uh, David, in, in bringing this about, just really uh, brings those things to pass uh, that, that his own people uh, had, had done. It says, Wherefore David said unto the Gibeonites, Well, what shall I do for you? And wherewith shall I make an atonement that ye may bless the inheritance of the Lord? Not curse, but blessing. And it's interesting that, that we know in Scripture that uh, those that bless Israel are going to be blessed. Those that curse Israel are going to be cursed. And David here says that he doesn't want uh, this to be a curse. He wants to make an atonement so that things are blessed again. So that they wouldn't have opportunity to curse the people of the Lord but instead to bless the people of the Lord. Because that's what the nations were supposed to do. Because God is going to hold accountable those nations, those countries that curse Israel, that are against Israel. And, and we see all the countries that are around Israel right now uh, just doing those things, shooting rockets in daily, uh, just doing all those things that, that are coming against Israel. And we know that it, Eventually, every nation is going to come against Israel and, and demand their extinction almost. <laughs> but God <laughs> is going to intervene and take care of his people, Israel. But the Lord is going to deal with the nations then and bring judgment to pass on each and every one because he always makes things right. Uh, so uh, that should be our heart too as we go about things to make sure that we're doing things the way that the Lord has, has called us to do and what he said in his word. And so the, verse 4 says, And the Gibeonites said unto him, we, have, we will have no silver nor gold of Saul. We don't want money. We don't want payment for this. Nor of his house, neither for us shalt thou kill any man in Israel. And he said, Well, what, shall, what ye shall say that I shall do for you? And they answered the king, The man that consumed us and that devised against us that we should be destroyed from remaining in any of the coasts of Israel, let seven men, remember seven, the number of completion, the number of perfection, let seven men of his sons be delivered unto us, and we will hang them up unto the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, 
whom the Lord did choose. And the king said, I will give them. Ooh. So the Lord tells David it was because of Saul and what he's done. David asked the Gibeonites, well, what, what do you want to rectify this situation? And they said, we want seven of his sons. Boy, if I was his sons, I'd be shaken. <laughs> uh. <clears throat> but isn't that what sin does? Sin kills. And because of sin, the Gibeonites were slain. Because of sin, Saul's sons were slain. All because of sin, because Saul wouldn't come into a place of walking with the Lord, of listening to the Lord. And because of that, not only did he die, uh, but, but his grandchildren are going to pass too. And what a sad thing uh, that sin has to do that to, to people's lives. And yet we see it happening all the time. Uh, so let seven of his sons be delivered unto us and we'll hang them up unto the Lord in Gabeah of Saul, in that place where Saul slaughtered us, whom the Lord did choose. And the king said, I'm going to do that. But the king spared Mephibosheth, uh, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the Lord's oath that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. And we've, we've seen that. We've seen what happened with that uh, in 1 Samuel. Uh, we know that David and, and Jonathan made this vow with each other, and, and David was going to keep that vow. Uh, so he spares Mephibosheth. Uh, but the king then, in verse 8, took to the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Ahiah, whom she bare unto Saul, Armani and Mephibosheth. And you go, wait a second, I thought he spared Mephibosheth. <laughs> There's another one. <laughs> Can you believe that? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, have, I haven't seen the birth records in America, but I don't think anybody's named Mephibosheth. Uh, but here's two of them. <laughs> uh, so this lady, the, this woman, uh, who's evidently a concubine, uh, a mistress, uh, maybe became a wife later on, we're not sure, uh, but, but she comes to that place and she has these two children by Saul, Armani uh, and Mephibosheth. And the five sons of Michael, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up for Adriel, the son of Barzillai, the Maholathite. Uh, so Michael, remember, was barren uh, because of what she had said to David, because of her heart, because of the condition of her ways, she was barren. Uh, but she brought up five sons, uh, uh, for Adriel, the son of Barzillai. So she's taking care of them, raising them up. And it says that he delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them in the hill before the Lord, and they fell all seven together, and they were put to death in the days of the harvest, in the first days, in the beginning of the bar barley harvest. Uh, in Rizpah, the daughter of Ahiah took sackcloth and spread it from for her upon the rock uh, from the beginning of the harvest until the water dropped upon them out of heaven and suffered neither birds of the air to rest upon them by day nor the beasts of the field by night. <laughs> I can't imagine because she's going from April till October. I can't imagine that there'd be much left of the bodies uh, and yet she's staying there protecting the bodies that were there, protecting what was left. Uh, and just so uh, so taken uh, by, by losing the children, by, by the things that had happened, 
just grieving uh, in being in a place uh, probably not a good place for her heart because we have to realize that uh, God was doing this to rectify the situation that had taken place uh, and death had come because of sin and sin needs to be dealt with it, and she's weeping over it which is natural but weeping over a place where sin has taken place uh, and we have to get through those things we have to get by those things and have the comfort of the Lord in the midst but she wasn't looking for the comfort of the Lord she was looking to just be one that was weeping and continually grieving over the death of her sons. And that's hard there. There's a hard balance in there because we always grieve over the death of little ones. Um, but if sin is involved, if, if sin has taken place and that's why they've died, which is why we all die, right? Uh, that we need the Lord's comfort in the midst. We need to know how the Lord wants us to handle those things so that we can go through those things. It doesn't mean we'll ever lose uh, the, the memories, ever lose the things that have gone on. Uh, but Lord, in the midst, help us to be faithful to you and not just be in a place of grieving constantly, but a place where we can grow, a place where we can move on. Certainly remembering those things and having a heart for those things, but Lord, help us to grow. Help us not to stay in that place of despondency and depression. Uh, and, and that is hard for all of us. Uh, we look at those things. I, I know Kath and I were, uh, <laughs> uh, when we heard of our grandson passing, here we are in, in Hobby Lobby shopping for Christmas because <laughs> uh, Christmas was coming. Uh, and we turn around and, and I'm just, <laughs> I'm a mess. Turned around, her eyes are full of tears. And it's just like, <laughs> You know, why? <laughs> Nothing was there to remember, but just the memory was there. But Lord, strengthen us. Strengthen us in the midst because we, we need to show your faithfulness, your love in the midst, and help us to do that. Uh, and so Rizpah is in that place where she's just grieving and not letting God do any work, not looking to God for help, uh, but in that place where, where she's just uh, suffering in the midst because of what has gone on. Uh, and it says in verse 11 then that it was told David what Rizpah, the daughter of Ahiah, the concubine of Saul, had done. Uh, so finally somebody says something uh, to David uh, about what she has done. And David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from the men of Jabesh-Gilead, which had stolen them from the street of Bet-Chan, where the Philistines had hanged them. Remember, they had gone in. They were faithful to go in to get the bones. Even though Saul had, had bloodied the house, they went and were faithful because of, of their heart in, in that vow with Israel to go and get the bones from the Philistines because they were just abusing them. They would killed them and hung them up. Uh, and so they went and stole them and brought them back. Uh, and so David went, got those bones uh, uh, from them, and he brought them up, the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, and they gathered the bones of them that were hanged. <laughs> uh, just uh, in that place where David is, is now collecting things, taking things down, uh, and just bringing them back. And he says, the, the bones of Saul and Jonathan, his son, buried they in the country of Benjamin in Zelah, 
so they take them back to their their own part of the country of Israel to Benjamin. Remember, they were Benjamites uh, in the sepulcher of Kish, his father, and they performed all that the king commanded after that God was entreated for the land. So uh, th this takes place so that God could be entreated so that there could be blessing on the land again, so that there would be fruitfulness in the land. And it's amazing to me that we look at this and we go, it's such a long time and, and such a thing that has happened, but there was famine in the land, there was a dryness in the land, and it, and it wasn't going to be taken care of until they entreated God for his mercy and for his grace, until they looked to the Lord to see what the Lord would do for them as, as they made things right, because God wants always to make things right for us in our lives and for our land. And doesn't he tell us in First Chronicles the same thing? If my people that are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then I'll heal their land. Go, oh. And we look at our land and we go, Lord, aren't we praying? <laughs> but it's amazing. We want to entreat God for it so that the land can be healed. And yet we realize that God has a perfect way, has a perfect plan. And sometimes that dryness is going to be there until we entreat the Lord. Lord, I, 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 I'm dry. I'm in that place where I, I, I'm just completely shriveled up because of the dryness, because there's no Holy Spirit working in my life. Lord, what is going on? And just to ask him. And sometimes we're afraid to ask him because we're afraid to hear what's going on in our lives. We don't want to know what's going on in our hearts. Or, or we think that, that God isn't going to listen to us. So we don't bother praying. And boy, it's amazing that God wants to hear from us. Why would God want to hear from a people that were his enemies? And yet he does because of his love. And that's where we want our hearts. Lord, I, w I want to hear from you, and I know you want to hear from me, and I believe what your word says. So, Lord, I'm coming before you because I want to hear you speak. I want to hear what you're saying. Don't, don't let us stay dry. Don't let our, our congregation stay dry. Lord, liven it up. Do something with it. But, Lord, show me how and show me what it is in my own life and in the congregation's life. And boy, we, we come to those places and just realize how, how different our hearts are from the Lord's. Uh, but it says he took the bones of Saul, Jonathan, the seven sons, and they put them in the, the sepulcher of Kish, his father. They performed all the things so that God was entreated for the land. Because of this act, and it seems like such a strange thing for God to ask for, but this is what the Gibeonites asked for. I'm sure God didn't want peop more people to die, uh, but this is what they asked for, and he was going to make things right. And in making things right, uh, th this was the sacrifice that had to come. Uh, and you look at your own hearts in the midst of it, and Lord, uh, am I dry because I need to get before you and to find out what I've done in my heart? Or Lord, is this something else? And for David, it was because of Saul. But sometimes in his own heart, David was in, his, in a place where he hadn't heard from God in a long time, but it was because of his sin. 
But once he came before him and repented and turned, we see that God started ministering through him again and to him. And we want that for our lives too. Uh, so this is just a great example for, for believers just to hang in and just continue to seek God, to seek him first in his righteousness. And he says he'll add all these things to us. And so continue to seek the Lord, continue to look for his ways and not our own. And now uh, things change again, the, the front changes. But isn't it strange that we come into this place where there's battles? Uh, and now we're going to go into a physical battle with the Philistines. But wasn't there a battle for, for people's hearts to be right in the other place? And those battles, even though they're different, because one's a physical one, one's a, a spiritual one, Aren't the battles pretty much the same thing? We have to be on guard. We, we're good soldiers of the Lord, and we want to be in that place where we're fighting the battle. And sometimes the battles aren't physical. Sometimes they're spiritual. And the enemy just wants to keep us away from seeking God's heart, from knowing what's right, so that we can enter back in then to a right relationship with the Lord. And, and boy, uh, you, you just start looking and, and start seeing all the things that are going on. We've got a guy in our, uh, that we know, uh, and, and their son's just so addicted to drugs right now uh, that, that he is just a complete mess. And mom and dad are struggling in, in what to do and how to do it. Uh, what's right, Lord? What, what's this? How do we take care of this in, in the midst? And it's a physical battle on the one sense, but it's a spiritual battle on the other sense uh, because he's entering into a place where he's spiritually getting deceived by the enemy and just getting deceived against the things of the Lord. His mind is gone because it's all focused on one thing, and that's getting drugs. And boy, how hard is that because you can't control it. He's an adult, but how do we help him? How do we get him to a place of coming to the Lord? And the prayers are just going all over the place for this young man. Keep him in prayer. His name is Adam. Uh, keep him in prayer uh, because he needs it. Uh, and mom and dad need it too. Uh, so just pray for his parents uh, for, for just God's grace to be upon them, that they would know what to do and how to do it. And poor mom, you know, a mother's heart is so much different than a father's heart. You know, we're, we're kind of black and white, and the, the poor ladies are just... Oh, my son, my son. <laughs> uh, and, and it's so different in those places, but, but it's still the same thing that God wants to do. He's working on hearts. He's working on mom's heart. He's working on dad's heart. He's working on Adam's heart. But he's working in those ways. But, but theirs is a spiritual battle. His is a physical battle right now uh, for God to break through and to break those bonds. Uh, but these battles are, are the same. We still have to be before the Lord and to know the Lord's heart in it. Lord, what would you have for me in this? And, and how do I deal with it? What do I do in it? Do, do I speak? Do I push away? Do I separate? Do I bring in and just love them like you love them? Lord, how do I do it today? What is today going to bring? Because every day is different. Uh, but these battles are different, but they're still battles. And we need, we need to be good soldiers. And so it says in, in verse 15, then, that moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel. Isn't it 
strange that it's almost like they had three years of of no battles, no physical battles with the Philistines, and all of a sudden is the physical or the the spiritual thing has dried up or taken care of that now a physical battle comes. <laughs> the enemy is just waging war against God's people. Always. And if you think that you're immune from it, <laughs> you're not alive. <laughs> you're gone somewhere. Uh, so get back to reality that we're, we have a battle against us. And the enemy is against us. And if it isn't going to be in one way, it's going to be in another way. So just constantly be on guard. Lord, help me to keep searching and seeking you in the midst of it for you to lead me. So as soon as the one gets taken care of, there's another battle there. <laughs> Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel, and David went down and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines, and David waxed faint. David's getting older. Uh, he's in that place where he hasn't got as much strength as he used to. And it says that Ishbi Banab, there's a name for you, it's better, better than Mephibosheth, uh, uh, which was the sons of the giants, uh, the weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass in weight. So he's got this spear that weighs 30 pounds. <laughs> Amazing. He's just carrying this thing around beside his sword, besides all the armor, besides all the other stuff. He's got a spear weighing 30 pounds that he's carrying around with him. Can you imagine what destruction that would cause on a person's body <laughs> as it went into him? Just, ooh, the, I feel pain just looking at this thing. Uh, this spear weighed 300 shekels of brass and weight, and he girded it with a new sword and thought to have slain David. So he's got a new sword, he's got this, this spear that he's got, and he's got David in his sights. Oh boy, <laughs> the battle is on. Uh, but... Uh, Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, secured him or helped him and smote the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swear unto him, saying, Thou shalt no more go out with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. We don't want you to be in this place where the light of Israel is going to be quenched, where these things are, are going to happen in uh, where you could be hurt. We don't want the light of Israel to go out. Uh, just just an amazing thing that they look at here and just to see what, what what's happening in his life, what's happening through him, that he is the light that is brought in. We don't want your light to go out in Israel. And boy, they're, they're battling, they're, they're protecting, they're keeping uh, all these things so that the light of Israel won't go out. And we wonder sometimes, and, and certainly for our own hearts, for our own application, do we fight that much not to let the light of Jesus go out in our lives? Oh, Lord. And we know he's greater than anything we have, but are we fighting to keep that light in our own lives as much as they're fighting to keep the light in Israel with David? Oh, Lord. I know it's a battle, Lord. Help me to fight that battle well. Help me to be a good soldier, like Timothy talks about. And good soldiers are always ready for battle. And he says, you're, you're no more going to go out with us uh, that you quench not the light of Israel. 
And it came to pass after this that there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gob. <laughs> Uh, th then this other guy here, <laughs> the Hushathite, slew Saph, which was the, of the sons of the giant. And there was again a battle in Gob with the Philistines, where Elhanan, the son of this other guy, <laughs> a Bethlehemite, slew the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the staff of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. So all these guys are giants, and they've all got these, these spears that are huge. Uh, and there was yet a battle in Gath, where there was a man of great stature that had on every hand six fingers and every foot six toes, four and twenty in number, and he was also born to the giant. Uh, and when he had defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, the brother of David, slew him. So here it is. They come to this place, and it's so interesting that as you go back to 1 Samuel 17, and you remember that David was there, and he slew Goliath, the giant, after he had defied Israel. And here's this man who's the brother of Goliath, who has the same heart, and they want to defy Israel. And gee, you wonder... How many of, of the family of Goliath are still around? <laughs> and, and they're still in the Middle East now trying to destroy Israel and to defy the things of God. And isn't that what the enemy always wants to do? But as you count these, you realize that, that there's four here. And it says, these four in verse 22 were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. And you wonder as you go back to 1 Samuel 17 and look at it, he had five stones, David used one, there was four brothers left. And you go, oh, that's what the other four were for. <laughs> and you go through and you realize God has such, he is so cool. Because why would David pick up five stones? Five round stones, five stones for the five brothers, for the five giants that were there that were going to defy the land. You know, oh. and, and you realize it wasn't David that killed Goliath. It was God directing things so that David would. But how would that stone go travel all that distance from a sling and hit him in a place where there just happened to be no armor? I mean, he has this face shield on. He has all the, the shoulder things. He has the, the, the uh, armor in the front, armor on his legs and on his feet. But right here, come on. Only God can direct something to go that well. But when God is with us, who can be against us? He might use us, and he might use us in the way to kill the, the enemy. But boy, it's God that directs it. It's God that enables us and it God that strengthens us for it. So don't discount what you can do or what you can't do. David was just a little kid. He was 15, 14 years old maybe when he went out against Goliath. And the whole army sitting there going, yeah, you can't even wear armor because you're too little. And he had to take Saul's armor off and just go out in what he had, his, his shepherd's coat. <laughs> but when God is for you, who can be against you? 
And it doesn't matter if you think you're too little to do something, if you're too weak to do something, if you're too old to do something. God is able to make you come into that place where you're able to do exactly what he has for you at the time that he has for you. We think, Lord, I'm too old now. You're not too old. I'm too weak now. You're not too weak now. I'm too tired now. Well, you may be. <laughs> but God can still raise you up and give you the strength to do what he has for you to do. And the battles he's going to have you fight are the battles that are necessary for you. That you can handle it. God, I can't do this anymore. Yes, you can. Let me be your strength. Because when you're weak, then I'll be strong. But let me be the one that does it for you. Let me bring you to that place where you can do it. So they come and they take all these and they take them out. Uh, you don't have to hold your place here, but go to Psalm 38. I was there this morning for some reason. All these some reasons are, are really going through, but it was such a great psalm to be so, so helpful uh, in, that, in that place of our battles that... Uh, he just brought me there. Uh, it's amazing. He had me in, in John chapter 14 when I got the call that my grandson had died. Uh, I'm going to prepare a place for you. <laughs> uh, and now here, he, here it is in, in Psalm 38. Uh, and the Lord says, O Lord, or David says, because he writes the psalm, uh, O Lord, rebuke me not in your wrath, neither chasten me in your hot displeasure. For your arrows stick fast in me, and your hand presses me sore. And sometimes God has those things and, and he just dealing with us in our life, in our sin, just to show us what, what's happening. He says, there's no soundness in my flesh because of your anger. Neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. And didn't you feel that when you were in that place where you weren't saved and God was trying to call you and God was trying to minister to you? You couldn't get rest. You couldn't find peace. You, couldn't, you weren't in a place, not everybody, but a lot of us, there's just everything is wrong. And Lord, I know you're calling me, but I don't want to come. <laughs> Lord, you're calling me. There's no soundness in my flesh. There's not any rest because of sin. He says, for my iniquities are gone over. My head is a heavy burden. They're too heavy for me. I can't take it, but you can. As he tries to show us that we can't handle our sin, but he can. And he can take care of it for us. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. Uh, my wounds, the things that I've done, Lord. I, I've wounded kids. I, I've wounded adults. I've wounded people, Lord. And it stinks to me of what I've done to people. But Lord, you're, you're able to take care of those things. In verse 6, he says, I'm troubled and I'm bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. Uh, I'm, I'm troubled, I'm bowed down, I'm humiliated. I'm in that place of humiliation. I have no strength. I have no direction. It says, for my loins are filled with a loathsome disease. And certainly they are. It's called sin. <laughs> There's no soundness in my flesh. That's the second time he said it. There's no soundness in my flesh. There's no strength in me. I have no strength because you want me. 
and you're trying to show me that I don't have any strength to take care of the things that are going on. My, my loins are filled with that disease. There's no soundness. I'm feeble and sore broken. I have roared by reason of the disquietness in my heart. Uh, <laughs> I'm just numb to all those things. Lord, all, all my desire is before thee, and, and my groaning is not hid from thee. Uh, <laughs> my heart panteth, my strength faileth me. As for the light of mine eyes, it is also gone from me. It's interesting that they didn't want the light of Israel to be quenched. And here the Lord says, uh, through David, my heart panteth, my strength faileth me. As for the light of mine eyes, it is gone from me. The people of Israel, realizing God's anointing upon David, that he was the light that was to be there. And yet David, in his own writing, says, the light of my eyes, it's gone from me. I don't have any strength. I don't have any direction. It says, My lovers and my friends stand aloof from my sore, and my kinsmen stand afar off. It seems like the Lord has separated everybody from him. And didn't you feel that way when you were coming to the Lord, that there was, there was just nobody around you that could help? There was nobody around you that could be in that place? Okay. Well, let's pray for you. Well, Father, we do pray for Patrick that you just help him at work, Lord, that you'd help them to discover the things that they need to know in the midst of it, that things could be done rightly, and it would be because of your light shining on the situation and showing them what to do and how to do it. So, Lord, just pray for favor in that. Pray for protection over the people that are there, but pray that they would see your goodness and your grace in the midst of it, Lord and that you be glorified. So we ask for your hand to be upon him. Just lead him in your way, Lord. Anoint him with your Holy Spirit and just give him favor in just helping in this situation. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> so, so David then goes on and he says in verse 12, uh, they also that seek after my life lay snares for me. <laughs> and they, seek, they that seek my hurt speak, speak mischievous things and imagine deceits all the day long. But I as a deaf man heard not, and I was as a dumb man that openeth not his mouth. <laughs> He's in that place. I don't have a clue what's going on, Lord. Help me. Uh, Thus I was as a man that heareth not, and in whose mouth are no reproofs. For in thee, O Lord, do I hope. You will hear, O Lord, my God. So here the, the confession comes. Here the place of just releasing himself and giving God uh, free access to him. Lord, I hope in you. My hope is in you. And he's a sure hope, Scripture tells us. And that's why we come to him. He's our only hope in this world. And he's our only hope outside of this world. <laughs> he's a hope everywhere that we are. For I said, hear me, lest otherwise they should rejoice over me. Lord, you have your way with me so that the enemy doesn't. Hear me, lest otherwise they should rejoice over me. When my foot slippeth, they magnify themselves against me. Because the enemy doesn't care about people. He just wants to use them, get rid of them, and destroy them. That's his whole way. 
and it's sad. We just had a, a guy we were talking to last night, his nine-year-old nephew uh, is threatening suicide. Nine years old. Has no clue. At nine years old, I just couldn't wait to get outside and play. You know, and what are they doing thinking about suicide at nine years old? That was not on my mind. But the enemy just working in families to destroy everything that's going on. And, and David here says, Hear me, lest they otherwise should rejoice over me. Because who's going to rejoice over the death of the saints? Not God. It tells us that he doesn't rejoice in the death of his saints. That's right. Thank you. He, it does. He does rejoice over the death of the saints. Oh, it's precious. precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Yeah. But but he doesn't rejoice in death of people. The enemy rejoices because he's killed him. He's hurt God's people. And boy, how sad is that that we have an enemy that, that would want to do that to God's people. It, but doesn't the enemy do that now in Israel? He just wants to destroy Israel. And what happens when they do? They rejoice. They had parties when Hamas came in on October 7th. They had parties celebrating that we killed people. Wait till the two witnesses in Revelation. Oh. And that they're going to act like it's Christmas and give gifts to each other. Yes. yes. This is like the pre precursor of that. Yes. We're just getting prepared for it. And they're just going through it. Because you realize, and doesn't it break your heart when you look now and see, I mean, every night in Rochester, somebody's getting killed. And it's just like the people don't care anymore. There, there's no caring. And yet for you and I, our hearts break because we realize these people are in sin that are doing that. They're, they're filled with sin. They're filled with the work of the enemy. And it breaks your heart to think that people can go to that place. But you know what? If it wasn't for God saving us, we could have the same heart. We wouldn't care who died. We wouldn't care who, who was taken out. We wouldn't care about abortion. We wouldn't care about anything. And yet because of God's heart, we care. And it breaks our heart to see that. Because we're just getting the heart of Jesus. Because he's the one that died for them on the cross. It doesn't say he died just for the elect. It says that he died for the whole world. Oh. And the word precious means valuable, prized, weighty, rare. Mm, it is rare, isn't it? <laughs> wow. Oh. It's amazing. <laughs> so David here in verse 16 says, Hear me lest otherwise they rejoice over me. When my foot slips, they magnify themselves against me. For I am ready to halt or to stop in this. My sorrow is continually before me. For I will declare my iniquity. I will be sorry for my sin. <laughs> Amazing. He cries out and says, Lord, you're my hope. And I'm sorry for my sin. Oh. The sweetness of that is the Lord brings situations just so that we can, he can hear our confession and then hear that we're going to be repentant in the midst of it. He says, but my enemies are lively and they're strong. Wouldn't it be great if the enemy of our soul was, was a wimp? 
but boy, he's got power. He's, he's got things going on. And, and the enemy of our soul is, is not a weak wimp. But one day we're going to see him as he is. And there's going to be no strength in him as God takes him out. My enemies are lively and they're strong. They that hate me wrongfully are multiplied. And doesn't it feel like sometimes the enemy's winning? I mean, we, we look at the things that are going on in New York and, and the laws that are being passed and the things that are going on and we go, Lord, it seems like they're winning. <laughs> but we know the ultimate thing that's going to happen. As we go into the house of the Lord, as we go into that place of, of seeking him and we see their end and we realize they're not winning. But boy, it's sad for them to think that they're voting for these things and approving of these things, but one day they're gonna realize the error of their ways and that should break our hearts. Lord, please just wake them up to truth. And as much as I don't like some of our politicians, your heart has to break for them because they're going in the wrong direction. They don't even know they're going the wrong way. Maybe some of them do but your heart still breaks that they're in that place where they're captured by the enemy. Lord, break those chains. Free them. Uh, just save them, Lord. And they also that render evil for good are mine adversaries because I follow the thing that good is. And what's good in Scripture? God is good. And he's good all the time. He's never evil. He's always righteous in all his ways. They also that render evil for good are my adversaries because I follow that which is good Then those that aren't are my enemies. So Lord, uh, help me, just show me where that battle is and how to fight on my knees, Lord, in prayer with you. So forsake me not, O Lord my God, and be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord my God salvation notice the confidence that comes at the end of the psalm in the last two verses forsake me not O lord my god don't be far from me and make haste to help me because you're my salvation he trusts the word of god and, and isn't that where we're supposed to be and isn't that what we're supposed to be doing is lord i trust your word no matter what the world says no matter how big the enemy looks no matter how much destruction is happening lord you're gonna win and so, Lord, my confidence is not in what I see, but my confidence is in what your word says. And there's a lot of Christians right now who are in that place of being shaken in their faith because they think the enemy is winning and they're falling down. But we're the ones who are supposed to handle those that are weaker and to be a strength for them. We're supposed to come alongside and encourage and comfort and strengthen them and exhort them. Uh, but that's why we have to be strong to help others. It's not for ourselves, it's for others. It does help us, but the end result is, is that we're reaching out to help others. And isn't it why Jesus came? Not to help himself, but to help the whole world. Uh, and if we want a heart like Jesus, then we're going to come into a place where we're going to be helping others and reaching out to others and ministering to them and just encouraging each other. 
such a, a great psalm. It really has nothing to do with <laughs> for Samuel 21 here. <laughs> but that's where the Lord took me, so that's where you're going. <laughs> so, Father, thank you, Lord, that we can have confidence in your word. And it's in your word that we want to meditate day and night. It's in your word that we want to be in that place where we're seeking your heart and, and wanting your ways. So help us with that, Lord, uh, to trust your word no matter what situations are around us and how big the enemy looks and how much uh, we think that there's more against us than there are for us. Lord, if, if you're with us, then really nobody can be against us because you're our strength, you're our hope, you're our surety, you're the one that we trust. And so, Father, make that sure in our lives, Lord, that we would have that hope that those scriptures would be written on the tables of our heart and that we would be following after you, not following after what we think, but following after what your word says. And, Lord, we trust you. We thank you. Thank you for speaking to us this morning, Lord, and just encourage us in it. And, Lord, bless this food. Bless our time together as we strengthen one another, that we would just glorify you in the midst. And we just thank you for your provision. Thank you for your ways. And again, we lift up Patrick to you, that you'd just be with him and just strengthen him, Lord, for the battle that he's facing right now. And just give him wisdom in it, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hmm.